Good morning, church. So great to be with you on this awesome Sunday. I hope you've had a great week. Um, I was looking back at uh, Matt Bill's preach the other week, and it was such a blessing, and I know it caused uh, lots of people to, to respond on social media. But one of the things he did was talk about his books. And I just looked at the stage, and obviously you can see what we're doing here. We're trying to create a great environment for you to be able to engage in your front rooms uh, to watch church. And I've got this plan, and Matt Bill's just had a better plan, didn't he? So what I've done this week is I've brought bigger books. You know, this is what we call a book. Have a look at that. That's a brick of a book. Have that, Matt Bills. This is called Unlocking the Bible. I don't know if you've ever come across it by a guy called David Pawson. It's been out for a long, long time, but I think it's, it's arguably the best book of its type. If you're someone who is looking to get into your word, doesn't know where to start, that is just a brilliant uh, book about unlocking it, helping you to read the Bible better. I recommend it to anyone. It's phenomenal. I've read it and reread it and gone back over it. It's just fantastic. And this one, this one was actually bought to me for me by uh, for my birthday by Matt and Jess Beals. So great. Dirty Glory. What a great title that is. Foreword by Bear Grylls. Um, but it's this. It says, go where your best prayers take you. I haven't read it yet. It's going to be my next book to read. So good to be thinking about this book when we are talking about prayer life in our church. You know, come on, we are called to pray. You as an individual are called to pray. We as a collective are called to pray. How about we start having some dirty glory prayers? Come on, believing and pressing in that God will do something literally outrageous in us and through us because we've got the faith to ask collectively. Come on, let's get our, playing our part in, in church life and prayer. That would be so, so awesome. This coming week is, um, is nationally, it's going to be our mental health week. And I really feel like we should be playing our part as a church. So this coming Wednesday at Connect Groups, we're, we're going to be looking at mental health, discussing it, giving people opportunity to share where they're at with it, praying for each other, just creating a forum where we're open together. And this is what, one of the things I, I think. I think that the, the psychology is amazing nowadays, and we know so much more, and we're unpacking things better, and we're learning, and we're understanding each other better, and lockdown's been tough for so many people, but we're learning to, to hear each other and bear with each other and, and help each other along the journey, because it's been difficult for so, so many people. I believe in medicine, you know, and the great medical um, bounds that we've taken over the decades where actually we can, we can help people with this kind of stuff. But the unique thing that we have as the church is our faith and our spirituality. Yes, believe in psychology. Yes, believe in medicine. But you know what? Healing comes from Jesus. And we can manage our things. We can understand it better. We can walk through it better. Of course, all those things are true. But I believe there is nothing better than the healing touch that comes from the hand of Jesus. And so let's, as a church, just give ourselves the opportunity to engage in that environment to be open and honest with each other and to invite Jesus into the middle of all of our situations. Could we be a group of people that step outside of our four walls and help people through their mental struggles? And there's so much of it about. So come on, engage in your, with your part in that uh, in church life this coming week. It's going to be a great time in connect groups. And come on, let's be open with each other. Let's be honest with each other. Let's pray for each other. And let's, in faith, believe for some miraculous outcomes. I'll leave that with you. On to my message today. The next couple of Sundays, I'm going to be looking at a title that I have called, I believe, dot, 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 so I, dot, 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 dot. 
and you can fill in the gaps. I hope already it's starting to get your cogs turning. I believe, so I... And when I analyze preachers and I prepare preachers, you start thinking to yourself, you know, what is it I'm trying to say? And, and really what I want to do is stir your thought processes. I want to point you to Jesus. I want to point you to the Word. I, I, I want to get you thinking about your own life and what you stand for and who you are and how you're living. And is that reflecting heaven? Well, I want to challenge all these things and get it stirring in you so you can be the best version of you. So we as a church can be the best version of us, so we can represent heaven better. Let me point you to Jesus. When you start thinking about this idea of, you know, what I believe and that affecting how I live, there's nothing more inspiring than looking at someone who lives with conviction. You know, I believe this thing, and so therefore that belief gets into a conviction, that conviction turns into an action. And do you know what? Even if you don't agree with what someone else believes, when you see them make sacrifices because of that belief, when you see them put in time, energy, money into that belief, and they walk it out, at least you can stand back and go, fair play, they actually meant it. And that by itself is inspiring. You know, maybe you know someone or maybe you have had a business opportunity and you looked at that and you thought, I believe in that opportunity. And so therefore you took some extra training to position yourself for it. You invested some money in it. You gave time to it. You made sacrifices for it because you believed in it. And so therefore there was a conviction in your heart that you could shift something somewhere and you lived like it. That is inspiring to see someone live with conviction. Somewhere where I think many of us can relate is this whole idea of believing in the potential of your children. If you're a parent out there, I'm a parent, and I believe in the potential of my children, and therefore I want to position them as often as I can in places where they can develop their potential. So over the years, I have taxied my children to drum classes, to gymnastics, to football, to events, to, to school things, all kinds of things. Why? Because I'm prepared to do that, to invest in their potential. I believe in their potential, and therefore it affects how I behave. Great hands up and round of applause to all you parent taxi drivers out there. You know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm prepared to invest in the clothing and the equipment it takes to position my children to develop their potential. Why? Because I believe in their potential. And that belief turns into an action. You know, years ago, we bought my daughter Evie an eight-foot beam because she was showing great prowess on the beam. She got into a gymnastic club. She got selected for the competition team. She was great, still is great. But she needed to practice on the beam. And so what do you do with that as a parent? So in our lounge at home, for many years, we had an eight-foot beam. You see, why would we do that? Because we believed in the potential of our daughter, and we wanted to give her every opportunity. You know, when I look at my son at 11 years old, who knew that 11-year-olds needed 100-pound pairs of football boots? But you pay that price because there's a conviction in your heart that says, I believe in him. I believe in her. And I want to position them to fulfill their potential. My point being, what you believe in your head, what you believe in your heart, turns into a conviction and affects how you behave. I believe in them, so I. Can you see what I'm trying to say? You know, ultimately, believing in something and not acting on it leads to frustration. It leads to disappointment. It leads to hopelessness. 
Because what you're really saying is, I believe in this project, I believe in this person, uh, I believe in whatever it might be, but I'm not doing anything about it. And so therefore, life just stays out there, rather than there being a conviction in your heart that causes you to grab hold of your belief and live like it, which actually brings hope and fulfillment and purpose. So if we don't act on our belief, we're heading for a place where we lose our passion. We lose our zeal for life. And that's not the best version of you. You know, looking at me personally, I think I have a good example of I believe dot dot so, so I dot dot dot. Because I believe God called me to lead this church. You know, I could have given a million reasons why I was the wrong person to, to lead this church. And there are still a million reasons why that could be. But you know what? I believe God asked me to do it. And so therefore, every day I get up and I do my best. He called me to lead the church. I believe that in my heart. I have a conviction in my spirit that says that's what God wants me to do. So I get up every day and I do my best. And here's the reality. Doing my best isn't perfect. I'm not the perfect leader. In fact, you won't find the perfect leader out there. He or she does not exist. None of us is perfect. But we're all doing our best. And I can get up every day and say, God, I'm going to do my best to do what you called me to do. And what I love is that so many of you tuning in today believe in this church. And I know that's true because it's caused a conviction in your heart to act. You believe in the vision of this church. You believe in the difference this church makes. You believe in the impact we're having. You, you believe in the anointing that we carry. And because of that belief, you serve in teams on Sundays. You serve in teams midweek. You invest your finances in the vision of this church. You turn up to the meetings. You see, what you believe in your heart has given you conviction to say, I'm going to act, I'm going to play my part in building this church because I believe in it. And then every time we see someone come to faith, it's like, yes, every time we see someone fed, every time we see someone grow a little bit and learn a little bit, every time we see someone overcome a struggle that they're having, we're like, yes, and it encourages our conviction to say, I'll go again. I'm prepared to keep serving because I can see the difference it's making. Can you see how as you step out, it kind of self-perpetuates? We make a difference and we get encouraged and we go again. We make a difference and we get encouraged and we go again. Why? Because we believe in something. And so it affects how we behave. I believe, so I. Can you see the point I'm trying to make? All of this kind of leads to questions around life and faith. You know, what do you believe? Why do you believe that? Do you have a conviction in your heart and does it affect how you behave or how you live? I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago a guy called Michael Collins passed away. Now I wonder how many of you know who Michael Collins is. And when he passed away and he came on the news, I have to say I didn't know who it was. So let me tell you who Michael Collins is. Michael Collins was part of a three-man team that first landed on the moon. Most of you will be familiar with Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon. Quite a lot of you will be familiar with Buzz Aldrin, second man. Not many of you, I believe, will know Michael Collins. Do you know why? Because he didn't get out of the ship. He was the one who manned the ship and orbited while Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walked on the moon. And no one, or not many people, know of him. And yet, when they told his story, it's like, wow. What sacrifice? 
to be the one that no one knows, but it couldn't have happened without him. And they talked about his life, and it was really interesting, and they showed some of the images that he would have seen from the moon. The earth hanging in space. You've seen the picture yourself, the blue of the sea and the green of the land and the white of the clouds. And it's just this perfect shape just hanging in space held up by you know, the perfect pressures all around it. And for me, when I see those pictures, it just stirs my faith. I don't believe any of that could have happened just purely on accident. There's too many factors. There has to have been a creative force. And I believe that's my God. And you know, when you, when you think about history written down and testimonies of the past pointing to God, it stirs my faith. Uh, and when I listen to the testimony of my peers and my friends and family and the people I do life with, it stirs my faith. When I've stood in the presence of God and I know, I know, I know, I've had a touch from God, it stirs my faith. And when I put all those things together, I find it very easy to believe God exists. And when you settle that in your heart that God is real and he exists and you start looking for him, you very soon find out that the creator of heaven and earth, almighty God himself, loves you. You know, almighty God is into me. It's just like, wow. And when you start believing that, it gives you purpose. Now I'm not just this accident, this random bunch of molecules come out of nowhere for no real purpose. Now I'm a created being, created on purpose and for purpose. And it gives me passion for life and zeal for life. And suddenly I'm able to believe that almighty God's into me. And my response to that is, I want to be into him. You see, my belief gives me a conviction in my heart and causes me to live a certain way. You know, I love this about Abraham, and the Bible refers to Abraham as the father of our faith. Let me read you something about Abraham here in Genesis 12 and verses 1 through 4. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and your name will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. <clears throat> Picture the scene. Here is God speaking to Abram. And Abram believes in his heart that God is saying, go. And so what did he do? Because he believed in his heart, he went. Now know this, God, uh, Abram wasn't trying to earn God, God's affirmation. He wasn't trying to earn God's love. Look at the promises. He knows God loves him. And the great thing is, just as an aside here, those of you who have accepted Jesus in your heart, we're grafted into these promises. The world will be blessed through you. God will bless you. He'll make your name great. You know, these are the promises for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're grafted in to these promises. But Abram wasn't looking to try and get accepted by God. He knew he was accepted. But he went. He just chose to put one foot in the front of the other to a place where God's saying, I'm not telling you where you're going yet, but will you just start moving? And that the Bible attributes to him as faith. He just believed it, and so he did it. And I love that. He wasn't trying to gain God's affirmation. He just believed it was true, and therefore it affected his behavior. And he is called the father of our faith. What a great example. 
Think about David and Goliath. Now, you, you will all know David from David and Goliath. And, and the situation is that the, the great giant is coming out and challenging the army of Israel. And you've got all these great warriors from Israel, successful army, are trained. They've been through battles. They've got all the right equipment. And little David turns up from the fields looking after the sheep. He's come to bring some sandwiches for, from his father to his brothers. And he sees the giant declaring, come on, send one person out to take me on. Winner takes all. And everyone's standing back. But what does David do? David says, I'll take him on. Why would he do that? Why would little David, the boy, all these experienced fighters around him don't want to go there. But little David says, I'll do it. Why? Let me tell you why. Because he believed in his heart that his God was his protector. He believed in his heart that his God would give him the victory. It wasn't about David's strength or Goliath's strength. It was about God's strength for David, and he believed it in his heart, and therefore he was prepared to act on it. He believed, so he. Can you see what's going on here? And the great thing is we know how it finishes. God gave him the victory. And it's so true in life today. That when we actually believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do, it causes a conviction in our heart that enables us to live differently. And as we live differently, God gets his blessing behind that and victory comes to those who walk in faith. But there's this decision we have to make. What do you believe and how are you going to behave based on that belief? It causes action. I look at these two amazing men of faith and it gets me asking myself, do I live with conviction? Do I do the things God's asked me to do? Do I choose to do the right things and choose not to do the wrong things? Because what I choose to do and how I choose to live actually says something about my conviction. You know, people can say, I've got a conviction about that, and all you need to do is look at their life, and you'll see where their conviction's at. And so the challenge here is, if you believe, or whatever you believe, are you living like it? And it's a challenge for the church today, and it's a challenge for you in your spirituality. Here's the great thing about our God. He is so, so unbelievably gracious. You know, I could give you countless stories, but let me give you a couple here. Let's look at Moses. You know, Moses has seen his people oppressed by Egypt. He's got frustrated. In fact, he's lashed out and killed an Egyptian. He's had to run away. Frustrated because he believed his people deserved better. And God calls him. God speaks to him from the burning bush. I'm sure you will know the story. But let me have a look at this with you. Exodus 3 and verses 7 through 11 say this. The Lord says to Moses, uh, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned for their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has met me, has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Can you see here? God is speaking to Moses out of a burning bush that isn't consuming. 
So Moses believes in God. He, he, it's right in front of him. He's speaking to him. His, his, his belief is there in his heart. But even with that, he's a bit fearful. He's a bit concerned about stepping out. He's, he knows God's asked him to do something. and He's like, oh, but who am I? How many of us have lived in that place? Where you've got a conviction in your heart that God's asking you to step out. He's asking you to do something. He's asking you to push a door, have a conversation, do something a little bit out of your comfort zone. And we're like, oh, I don't know. I believe, but I don't know. If you're living in that place, be encouraged. God's got grace for you. He's got grace for you. Just in the same way he had grace for Moses. And he took Moses on a bit of a journey. He said to him, throw your staff, your staff down. And he threw his staff down and it turned to a snake. He said, grab the end of the snake and it turned back to his staff. You know, if that happened to me or you, I think our faith levels would go. Whoosh. But even then Moses was like, oh, but I don't speak very well and I'm a bit nervous about it all. And he said, it's okay. Your brother Aaron will go with you. He started positioning people around him. God demonstrated his greatness to Moses in outrageous ways. He positioned people around him. He didn't just say, come on, now go. He helped him. He gently increased his faith. He gently encouraged him because this is the love of our father. And Moses came to the point of saying, I'm going to do it. And as they say, the rest is history. It took a few plagues and some water turned into blood and all kinds of things going off. But he released the people and they went on to the promised land. Why? Because in the end, the belief in his heart turned into a conviction. So he acted and God honored his action. You know, what about Peter? You know, here's this amazing guy. I, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but um, in my household, we just started watching the Chosen series. Amazing. Recommend it to anyone. It just really brings to life for, you know, the Bible and, and Jesus' story and, and the things we believe in our hearts. It's been so, so great so far. Only a few episodes in, but it's been really great. And, and Simon, who's Simon Peter, is a central character. And he's a zealous man. You know, he, he's, he's the man who says, let me walk on water, I'm going to walk on water. And he gets out and he believes and he walks on water. He's, he's the guy that when they come to arrest Jesus, they wax the ear off of the guy who's trying to arrest him because he's so defending Jesus. He, he's this amazing guy, just so passionate for Jesus. He's the guy who had this revelation when Jesus said, who did I say I am? And Peter said, they say you're this and you're that and you're the other thing. And then Jesus said, who do you say I am? And this is a great question for all of us. What do we really believe? Who do you say Jesus is? And, and, and Simon Peter said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus went, yes! And that's where he says, I can build my church on this rock. That revelation you've had, I can build my church on the acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. I can build my church on that. And so he changed his name from Simon, which means reed and, and moves and floppies about, to Peter, which means rock and steadfast and firm and immovable. He's Simon Peter. Can you see what Jesus does there? But what happens? Jesus gets arrested. He gets taken away. And Peter's there and he's, he's unsure and he's wobbling a little bit and people recognize him and they say, you... You're that guy who was with Jesus. And Peter said, not me. No, 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 not me. I, I don't know Jesus. Never, no, no, don't know. Never met him before. Don't know what you're talking about. I wonder what I was doing on the inside of Peter. And then someone else says, you're that guy. I've seen you with Jesus. The one they're going to crucify. He's, no, not me, not me. A third time. 
someone says, you're that guy who knows Jesus. I've seen you with him. And he denies it. No, not me. I don't know Jesus. And the Bible says, as he denied him the third time, he looked over and he caught the eye of Jesus as they were taking him away. Can you imagine that? I don't know Jesus. And then you turn to the side and there Jesus is looking right at you. Wow. Just, just wow. You know, put your own language around that. That's where Peter's living. And Jesus goes away. But here's the great thing. Jesus rises from the, the, the grave, doesn't he? He rises again and says, come on. All authority has been given to me. Now let's go and do something with this. Let's go and change the world. Let's go and bring heaven to earth. That's our mission, church. To heal the sick. To, to bring life back to people who have lost their life. To show what Jesus really looked like. But there's this issue where Simon Peter has denied Jesus. And he goes to Peter. When Jesus is risen again, he goes to Peter and he has this encounter. And I want to read it to you here in John chapter 21 and verses 15 through 17. Have a look at this. When they had finished eating, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's doing life with his disciples. When they had finished eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What's going on here? Do you see in this moment, Jesus, who renamed Simon Peter, the rock, is calling him Simon again? You see, because Peter had behaved like Simon again. He'd gone all wobbly and floppy. And so he's referring to him as such. But he's reinstating him. Can you see the grace of Jesus? You messed it up. You denied even knowing me. But you know what? I still love you. And I still see greatness in you. And I still want to draw it out of you. And he talks to him. He says, do you really love me? And he says, you know I do. That passion coming out of him again. And so he says, but this is the response I'm looking for. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Feed my sheep. And who's he referring to? He's referring to the church, the people who are going to come to know Jesus personally themselves. He's saying, Peter, I want you to take care of them. They're going to need some teaching. They're going to need some help. And so he reinstates him back to Peter again, the rock, the one that is firm. So here's my point. If you've missed an opportunity, if you've stuffed up, if you've denied Jesus, if you've done things that actually go against what you really believe and you've messed it up, that's not cool. But Jesus still loves you. And Jesus still sees the best in you. And Jesus still wants to bring out the best in you. And here today is another opportunity for you to say, come on, I want to stand for what I'm convicted of. I believe that Jesus is Lord and I want to live like that. Could today be a new day for you? Just like this was a new day for Peter. And I love this because later the Holy Spirit comes on Pentecost and he comes and he rests on the church. 120 of them in an upper room and they spill out and they're speaking in foreign languages and people think they're drunk and there's this big commotion. But who stands up? Peter. Peter stands up and declares the Messiah. He declares Jesus. He declares the risen Christ. He declares it as a game changer. 
And look at this, look at this. Peter denied Jesus to three people. Three people when he let himself down. But when he stood up in front of the crowd and he declared Jesus, it says 3,000 people came to know Christ. 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. Can you see the contest here? Yes, he let himself down, but Jesus saw that. But the moment he steps up for Jesus, Jesus blesses it by a 1,000 times. Three let down, 3,000 come to know Jesus. Come on, church, there's something good in you. There's something amazing in you. Would you stand up and be counted for something? Would you believe and have a conviction in your heart which causes you to act, to speak up, to step out, to do something that declares what you really believe in your heart? Because when Peter stepped up and declared what he really believed, it changed the lives of 3,000 people. The church was beginning to explode. How awesome was that how awesome is our Jesus? Can you see this link I'm making between belief and action? Belief that leads to conviction that causes life choices and lifestyles. Let me show you a couple of verses here. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's a great passage there where we see belief and action in tandem. Believe in your heart, belief. Confess with your mouth, action. Can you see the two go together? But this is what I want to highlight here. I think so many people who may well believe in Jesus, may well believe in, in heaven and hell and all these kind of things, I think most people just think, oh, well, I'm going to heaven, obviously, because I'm a good person. But that's not what the word says. It says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. These are biblical criteria for stuff here, and I think we need to take it seriously and get back to what the word actually says. The important factor here is believing something and speaking something, an action to your belief. Jesus is Lord. Do you know something that's true? Satan believes in Jesus. So if you say you believe in Jesus, that's cool, but Satan does that. Satan doesn't treat Jesus as Lord. So when we confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth, it's out of the conviction of something that's in our heart, and it's a game changer. Because if we believe Jesus is Lord, surely then we will live a lifestyle that reflects Jesus is Lord. And when someone is Lord over your life, it's a game changer. When Jesus is Lord over your life, there are things you can do and things you won't want to do. There are things you will do better because he's Lord and things you'll let go because he's Lord. But your lifestyle will be a reflection of the conviction in your heart that Jesus isn't just real, he's also my Lord. And come on, church, we need to be a bunch of people that start living like Jesus is Lord. Have a look at this one in 1 Peter, chapter 1 and verses 15 through 16. It says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know, this is written by Peter, the same guy that denied Christ, the same guy that stood up passionately and declared him as Messiah and 3,000 people aside. This is the guy that Jesus said, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. This is what he's doing. He's taking care of us. He's preaching to us. He's teaching us. He's writing to us. And he's saying, be holy because Jesus is holy. And the word holy ultimately means set apart. And so if I believe Jesus is holy then that will want me, it will make me want to be like that too, to be holy. And I believe Jesus came to represent his father. 
And so therefore, he was set apart. He didn't come to fit in. He didn't come to think, speak, and act like everyone else around him. He came to think, speak, and act like his father because he was set apart to his father. He was holy. He came to demonstrate heaven. He came to do something different. And the call on my life and the call on your life is to reflect that. He is Lord. And so as he is my Lord, I want to be holy just like he is holy. It causes a response in my lifestyle because of the conviction in my heart coming from what I believe. Can you see all these links? And so for me, when I say I'm being holy, that means I'm not to act and speak and think like everyone else around me. Go with all the local and, and current trends. I am here to represent my Father in heaven. And he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What I stand for isn't changing. Even if the world's ideas changes, my ideas don't change because I'm representing my Father. Why? Because I'm holy. And here's the great thing. I'm holy but I still make mistakes. But the thing is, I don't celebrate mistakes, and I don't think my mistakes are okay. But I do know that God has grace for me. So that when I make a mistake, if I say something wrong, do something wrong, think something wrong, God is gracious to forgive me. But then I have this opportunity to say, come on, I can do better than that, Barry. I'm not going to live in that space. I made a mistake. I'm moving on. I don't make a habit and a lifestyle out of that mistake. I make mistakes. I'm a human being. But I'm still holy and set apart to God because I keep looking to him every day of my life. I do my best. I get out of bed in the morning and say, come on, Barry, you've got a call on your life. God's asked you to lead this church. Come and do your best today. I'm set apart to him. I'm going to do my very best. Come on, you are called for something. You have a gift in you. Do you remember how I sowed into my children to set them up because I believed in the potential? Well, your heavenly father believes in you and he is sowing into you because he wants you to fill your potential. It's the best life you'll ever live. But we're called not to be the same as the world, but to be different because we're demonstrating something different. And anyone who sees someone live with a conviction in their heart, it's inspiring. Could you inspire someone? Just because you carry a conviction in your heart that is different to what everyone else is doing around you, it's representing heaven. You know, you could even ask questions like, why did Jesus even come to earth? You know, John 3.16, probably the most famous uh, scripture in the Bible, it says, God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believed in him would be saved and have eternal life. And, and so here's this thing, God so loved, you know, God, the world, the world being me and you, the world being people, God so loved the world, he loves me, he loves you so much, he believes in us. And it caused him to act because we're separating. So I believe in you, I love you so much, you're in my heart, I have a conviction over you, so I'm sending my son, my best, my only son, my everything. I'm sending him to you. And Jesus came, and he came to reconnect us to the Father. He came to give us an opportunity, an opportunity to say yes. Yes, thank you, Jesus, that you've reconnected to, my, to the Father. And as I reconnect to the Father, the, the source of my life, I can live my best life. And as I do that, I choose to honor you and be holy because you're holy, because that's what I believe. That's the conviction in my heart, and so therefore that's the life I want to live, and I pray I could inspire some other people on the journey. What a great life we are called to. So for me, when I look at my life, and I hope all these kind of thoughts are getting you to look at your life. You get one life, and I pray you'll live your best life, and you'll make it count for something, count for something even bigger than you. You know, I believe God is creator. I believe he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere. I believe he sent his son to die for me, and it was a demonstration of love. I believe that is what reconnects me to the Father, not because I'm good, but because he was good. 
So I choose on the back of my life, my belief, to live in a way that honours Jesus as Lord. I choose to express my faith and my conviction. I choose to make important to me what is important to God. The orphan, the widow, the hurting, the downtrodden. They're on God's heart and therefore I want them on my heart. I choose to play my part in building his church because it's the, his chosen vehicle to reach humanity. And so therefore it's important to him. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so therefore I want to play my part in building his church. It's important to him. It's a life choice I make and I make it every day. I choose to step out when he asks me to step out. I choose to give generously at every opportunity. I choose to be an encourager. I choose to see the best in people and to draw the best out in people because it reflects my Jesus. I choose to live set apart, not by world standards, but by God's standards, all the while knowing his grace is sufficient for me. And I believe this, that the people around me and the people around you are inspired by those who live with conviction. So I wonder what your conviction is. If I was to ask you to fill in the gaps, I believe, dot, 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 so I, dot, dot, dot. What would that look like for you? Because I think the big question is, is it time for compromise to end? You know, we live in difficult times. What would it look like if every Christian on this planet stopped compromising? What would it look like if every Christian on this planet treated Jesus as Lord? What would it look like if every Christian on this planet actually got a conviction in their heart and started living like it? And that's a big question to ask, but you can ask you. You believe what? So how will you behave because of that belief? Your conviction in your heart is what? So how will you live because of that conviction in your heart? And know this, Jesus is with you. He sent his Holy Spirit to empower you to go way beyond what you could do on your own and to live this amazing, hope-filled, purposeful life that brings life and hope everywhere you go. That is the life you are called to. So your potential is huge. Your Father in heaven believes in you just in the same way I believe in my children. He's sowing into you just in the same way I sow into my children. So be encouraged. Your potential is huge. Would you live like it? Could I pray for you? Father. Father, I just lift up every brilliant, amazing, talented, gifted person who's listened to this message. I thank you for them. I thank you that when you look from heaven, you see us as your children and you delight in us, you love us, you dote on us, you give us everything we need. So, Lord, I want to ask that you would stir our faith, that we would start to make choices. What do I actually believe? And how am I going to choose to live because of that belief? Lord, I pray you'll stir your church, every individual in your church. I pray you'll stir everyone listening right now to make life choices that reflect that Jesus is Lord that your church would become the amazing bride, the spotless bride that you're looking for. That we would be people that enter any room and bring change and bring hope. We would be people that step into any person's life and bring the best out in them. That we would be people to be equipped to bring change wherever we go because of what we believe and therefore how we live. Stir your church, Lord God. Stir us to pray. Stir us to live well. 
Stir us to be holy. Stir us to keep you central. And stir us to believe in who you've called us to be. Not who everyone else has said we are, but who you say we are. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's just been a privilege to share those thoughts with you. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope it's challenged you. I hope it's stirred you. I hope it's getting you thinking. I hope it causes conversations because you're amazing. And I want to just pull that out in you so you represent the Father even better. Hey, maybe today you've checked into church and you're not close to Jesus. Maybe you've never known Jesus. Maybe you once knew Jesus and you've drifted apart. It's today the day you say, come on. I want to get Jesus in the middle of my life. I believe he is God. I believe he is Lord and I believe he died for me and I want to start living like that. It's today the day you get Jesus living your heart just like he wants to. Let's pray that prayer together if that's for you today. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you gave everything for me. So today I invite you, Jesus, to come and live in my heart, to come and be my Lord, to lead me forward. I bow the knee. You are king and I am not. Lead me forward. Pull the best out in me. Lord, help me to say yes when you need me to say yes. Help me to say no when you need me to say no. But today I choose you. You are welcome here. Lead me forward. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, please get in touch with the church. Um, maybe put a message on the, on the chat box there. Maybe email the church. Maybe contact someone who you know is a Christian or in this church. I, I don't know. All I do know is you're not called to do this on your own. Let's do this life together. Let's champion each other. And come on, let's go and be the glorious church God has always called us to be. I believe, dot, dot, dot. So I'm going to go and live like this. God bless you guys. I'm going to hand back over to the worship team.